0: As we've been looking at the Beatitudes, we've been looking at this deep satisfaction, this deep contentment, this deep um, happiness that Jesus has been speaking of that is an internal thing, that is not an external thing. And it's interesting, because when you think about the, the church in America, really what we're doing is we're asking people if they want lip balm. That's really what we're doing. Like, they're, they're, they're starving for this fountain of living water that many of us may at one time have tasted and seen the goodness of God through this fountain, but because we've forgotten what we've tasted, we go to the lip balm. This topical outer expression of here, this might help, but in reality they are so thirsty and so longing for the things that we've been talking about the last several weeks, but because we as the church in America don't really understand all that we've been given, lip balm, Let's just let's just pretty this up. Let's just kind of temporarily ease something, rather than allowing them or introducing them to the fountain that we have tasted. So when I when I this clip really helps me get my brain around what are we invited to share with people, to invite people to, but also what has Jesus done inside. And so Jesus points us to what seems to be an upside down and backwards way of thinking, a road to happiness that doesn't make sense in the world. Now I want to show you a slide and this is typically how I read the beatitudes and most of you probably read the beatitudes this way too. So this slide I want to show you is actually where I put my emphasis. The darker letters are typically how I read this and I'm like poor in spirit. Oh man, that mourn. Oh man, meek. Oh man, hunger and thirst. Oh man merciful oh man and isn't this how we read scripture what the scripture demands of us and we go oh that's too much forget it i'm done but what if we read it the other way what if we read it and the other side of everything was where we were really set what if we were like oh man the kingdom comfort inherit filled get mercy those are things that i really 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 want i mean because if you look at that that's really what we're all longing for right like every single heart is going, man, I just want a kingdom. And so we attempt to build our own. Oh, man, I want comfort. And so we attempt to work for it on our own. We want to inherit things. We want to say, yes, please. Uh, we want a blessing. We, want, we want, Whether we want our, our earthly parents or we want somebody to affirm us or we want to inherit something from them, that's what we're looking for. And then to be filled, good grief, satisfaction, isn't that why we do what we do? And to receive mercy, to step out under from from under judgment, we want these things. And so, in my mind, I'm sitting there going, "How do I grab that?" And Jesus is beginning to show us more and more the life of someone who understands the grace of God. I've said it multiple times, and I hope you hear it. Is this is not a checklist for us to go home and accomplish? This is not for me to go home and go. All right, I'm going to put these lists on my wall. All right, today I practice this. Today I practice this. Today I practice this. Today I practice this. Because if that was the case, then everything Jesus came to do, why did Jesus die if you and I could perform a list? But in reality, these things, this is more of a litmus test for what do I believe about the grace of God? Is the grace of God enough? Has what Jesus done enough? And these beatitudes are a description of someone who has the kingdom, not someone who's working towards to get the kingdom. And so this morning, <clears throat> the, the, ch- the transformation, I think, that we're going to begin seeing is really described well by C.S. Lewis. See, a lot of times we want those things that are described in the Beatitudes, and I think that's what we're designed for. But a lot of times we want them apart from God. And this is the problem. C.S. Lewis says it this way. A car is made to run on gas, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. See, if we're honest with ourselves, we really want the blessings of God. We just don't want God. This is the struggle. And I believe it's something that we struggle with. God is like a means to an end, another end. We want want what God can give us. All right, so God, if I seek you with all my heart, you'll give me the perfect husband or the perfect wife. All right, I'm going to seek you. I'm going to seek you. But in reality, your God is the perfect husband and perfect wife. God is just this tool that you're using. And he's the words you use and you pray the right things and you say and do the right things. But in reality, God is not your end. Something else is. So Jesus shifts something. I mean, he describes something that is actually all through scripture. But in Matthew chapter five, verse eight, this is what Jesus says. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. And right off the bat, some of you are probably saying, who cares if I see God? I just want his stuff. I just want his things. I just want what he can do for me. But I'm here to tell you that the life of the Christ follower is lived. Going, God, I just want to see you. I talk with people about eternity, and they want the perfect eternity. They just don't want a God in that perfect eternity. Friends, for the Christ follower, the greatest desire is Christ. And in death, we gain the thing we wanted most in this life. Jesus is beginning to let us see the life of someone who understands the grace of God, the transforming grace of God. All that we've been given, we've been talking about all of the the bankruptcy and our own ability not to to earn anything from God, to mourn over our sin, to know that he wants to fill us, to know that, that we are to show mercy because we've first been shown mercy. And then Jesus says that blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Now, I want, to, I want to put to death some of the things you may be thinking right now about purity and this pure-in-heart concept. For some of you, you think purity is perfection, but it's not. Mary Poppins, um, this is often the picture that the church really is uh, showing very often so here's, the, here's the measurement. And I mean, obviously, Mary Poppins is my favorite female superhero. And with Disney purchasing Marvel, it's possible. She could cross over universes and somehow show up in a Marvel story. I'm hoping it happens, but it'd be awesome. Anyways, that's stupid. Um, but the ruler picture really is um, where we see and we think purity, that this is what Jesus is talking about. And then what's the measurement that, that Mary Poppins is right here? You can see it, practically perfect in every way. See, Jesus did not quote Mary Poppins. He did not say, blessed are those that keep calm and are practically perfect in every way, for they shall see God. This, this, this thing right here freaks me out. How do you keep calm and maintain practically perfect in every way? You don't. Jesus did not say, blessed are the perfect for they shall see God. Jesus did not say, blessed are those who do no wrong, for they shall see God. Folks, if that was the equation that Jesus was presenting to us, none of us would see God. You know, and I know some people are always like, you shouldn't ever say the scripture clearly says, I do think there are some things we can say this on. The scripture clearly says, none of us do right. None of us are doing the right thing at all times none of us seeks to do good but there was somebody who stepped in on our behalf purity is not sin free because that would actually be anti scripture first john chapter 1 says this if we claim we have no sin we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So purity is not sin free. In fact, if we say it is, we're calling God a liar because all of us struggle. So what is Jesus talking about? Soren Kierkegaard says this. Purity of heart is to will one thing. This really does get at the heart of what I think the Scripture teaches, because for the Christ follower, the one thing that we are to will is the glory of God. That's what we see in Scripture. We see that the, we are a people who no longer live for the glory of ourselves, but we live to see the glory of God brought to the earth, but also see him, he is already most glorified. But part of our responsibility is to reveal that he is most glorious. Like, it's not like I'm adding to his glory, like I'm not adding more to his glory. He's already most glorious, folks. The invitation we've been given is to reveal that he is most glorious. And we're pointing people to that glory, not the glory of me, not the glory of a man, not the glory of a thing or stuff, but the glory of God. We're pointing to him. That's the biggest desire in a Christ follower's life. And I know for some of us, we're like, ouch, because that's not always mine. I know that's me. It's not always my biggest desire. And so when Jesus gives a statement like, blessed are the pure in heart, there's something that happens in me. There's a realigning that goes on. Now, understood in this light, the opposite of pure in heart would be a divided heart, a deceiving heart, a hypocritical heart. Feeling one thing on the inside, yet on the outer, displaying another. I'm going to think this way, and I'm going to go after these things in my heart. But I don't want anyone to know that I'm going after those things, so I'm going to put on an appearance. This is the divided heart. And Jesus often was very tough on the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 23, he goes after them for this reason. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites... For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. There's that word. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Divided hearts allow anything to go, and the divided heart is deadly. You know, you can be a man or a woman. And you can attend every Christian Bible study that there is. You can buy the Christian satellite television and put it on your Christian house and stream 30 Christian channels and listen to only Christian music and eat Christian chicken and only go where Christians get together and and always be about Christians doing Christian things and you can still cheat on your wife. You can still hide an eating disorder from the world. You can still be caught up in going places on the internet that you know you shouldn't be, but everything looks Christian. And then people usually say when something comes out, we never saw that coming. We didn't think that was possible. But God did. Because the heart was already there. The heart went somewhere long before the actions actually occur. A divided heart is deadly. Jesus would not simply be satisfied with a moral society or a nice society because on the outward we may deal nicely with each other but on the inward our hearts rage full of adultery, murder, lust, slander, gossip you name it our hearts will come up with it but as long as we look nice society is content. I'll tell you who's not content Jesus would not be content with that. Jesus is suggesting that government organizations are not going to be able to completely fix the struggles we see today. Many Christians have said if the government will step in and do something, then everything will be fine. Folks, I understand the band-aid the meeting, the temporary relief, there should be a desire in us to do these good things. But if we think it's going to fix the fatherlessness, the, the abuse, the racism, the scandals, the, all the stuff that is out in society, we see Fergusons, we see Baltimores, we see all of these things, and we go, who cares if we see God? Fix these things. And the reality is, as Christ followers see God, Something changes. The heart is dealt with first. And then the outside follows. The church has to understand that the temporary outer fix is not what Jesus primarily came for. Jesus came to go to places that you and I cannot, and that is directly to the heart. Because He knows that from within, everything comes out. The scripture often um, speaks of impurity and idol worship together. And uh, the number of times that God says, I am God alone. He doesn't say it so he can remind himself of those things. He says it because we need to be reminded of those things. God doesn't say, hey, I'm God alone. I'm God alone. I'm God alone because he needs to be reminded. He knows he's God alone. We're the ones who forget. We're the ones who deny that he is God alone. By the way, we live our lives. There's something called practical atheism today that, that, that actually is not just an atheist thing. It's actually a Christian way of living. We, de- we declare God on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday, we live as if God doesn't exist. This is a divided heart. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Some of these questions that you can begin to ask, and I know they're, they're questions I ask myself. And so I'm kind of inviting you into the process in my own life where I go, God, am I divided in any place? These are questions that I regularly ask. What do I want to have more than anything else? Answer that question. Is it Jesus? What do you make the biggest sacrifices for? What do you spend your time, your energy, your money on? What keeps you up at night? Is it Jesus? Jesus? Whose approval are you seeking? Someone, something? Is it Jesus? And what do you treasure the most? What is that thing that if it was gone, your life would crumble? Is it Jesus? These are four questions that I ask myself, and they are not easy to look at, because I know that Jesus is not the answer all the time. But Jesus says that there's a blessing that comes with those who do not have a divided heart. Those who have a single-minded heart, there is a huge blessing that we will see God. And I hope that your head and your heart have been shaken to the point where that's your longing, that's your desire, that's your hope, more than anything else in this world. James 4.8 eight. Says this, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts. Listen, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. The pure in heart, a single minded heart that says, For the glory of God alone do I run after. This is the reminder that we all struggle with divided hearts. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul actually explains why he writes to Timothy and encourages Timothy to continue to teach the Word of God. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a what? Pure heart. A clear conscience and genuine faith. The pure heart, the undivided heart, leads to a clear conscience because I don't have to put up any walls. I don't have to be fake with people. I don't have to pretend with people because I can be me because God has rescued me. God knows every sinful, dark, wicked thing about me and he still loves me. And it's that love that allows me to be, be, be confident that I can be weak in front of people leads to a genuine faith, a faith that rests in what Christ has done, not what other people think about me by my successes or my failures, but what Christ alone has done. And the danger of pretending is best displayed in one of the strangest animals on the planet. Sue, I'm glad I continued to keep the possum reference in there because otherwise that would have been the strangest kid's craft Hyland has ever done. But do you know that the possum can't help but pretend like i want to show you this video and i'm just going to talk during this What's video because it's ridiculous cool. watch this thing this possum all right he's like gonna run and oh well, cool i'm afraid free- oh wait no i gotta pretend i be dead it's in the possum's <laughs> dna to pretend to be dead as a mechanism of defense he can't help it it just pretends i sat on youtube for 45 minutes and watched possums pretending to be dead it is hilarious. Like, you can go home and watch these possums completely consumed with this pretend life of I'm going to pretend to be something I'm not. Here's the problem with pretending to be dead. When you're a possum, you often die. <laughs> That's what I never understood. That's the stupidest defense mechanism in the world. Pretend to be dead so I don't die. Uh, In front of a car, not a good plan. I mean, granted, I know there's the science behind it, and I watched an inform- informational thing about them, and they release this stink, and it's supposed to, you know, fend, you know, get the the, the animals that might be trying to eat them off of them because they stink and all this. Stuff. I get it. I get that. I get the the self defense mechanism. But in my opinion, when you pretend to be dead as your self defense mechanism, oftentimes you just end up dead, and this is the problem with pretending. Living a divided or unpure life might end in a quick, painful death for most of us, as if I pretend to be, you know, a, a, a base jumper just to impress somebody, and I don't know what I'm doing, and I jump off a mountain, I'm dead, okay? I really am. But for many of us, pretending will lead to a slow, 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 unnoticeable, incremental Death. Because we've forgotten who God created us to be. And we somehow slip into all these other personalities and people and things. We slowly lose who God created us to be. So it snaps us out of these inauthentic lives. And it's simply our eyes being open to the gospel. I pray a prayer for my kids at night. I say, God, please let them see you so that they'll know who they are and what you've done. And what I'm praying by that is not this. I'm not going, all right, God, I'm going to show them a printed picture of Jesus. Hey, Emma, look at this picture of Jesus. It's going to change your life. Caleb, look at this picture. It's going to change your life. See, Jesus, life changed. That's not what I'm praying for my kids. See, I'm praying it more along the lines of when I call... On my child's behalf to a doctor, and I say, My kid needs to see a doctor. The receptionist doesn't email me a photo of the doctor. You and I know exactly what it means to see the doctor. It means to get in the presence of the doctor. Why do I need to be in the presence of the doctor? Because the doctor can diagnose my kid and tell my kid, hey, this is what's wrong. And they can tell me as a parent how I can help alleviate the pain. And what comes as a response of being in the presence of the doctor is thanksgiving and comfort. I'm just like, thank you so much that we live in a place where my kid who is in pain can come and be in the presence of a doctor who can show them what's wrong and help me understand as a parent what to do. And so getting in the presence of the doctor brings thanksgiving and comfort. And in the very same way, that's the prayer I pray for Highland. It's the prayer I pray for my kids is that we would get in the presence of God. I'm not asking for an emotional encounter where we cry because I have been in student ministry long enough. Cry sessions don't necessarily mean the presence of God. Music gets you emotional. I get get, get goosebumps, so God must have shown up. I cried Thursday night at campus. The last night, I gotta cry. I'm not asking for that. I'm asking for my kids to get a picture, an accurate picture when the Holy Spirit opens their eyes and their hearts to the bigness and the grandness of God and it changes the game. That's what it means to see God. Now, in Psalm 119, and if you guys have a struggle with the divided heart, read Psalm 119. If you have a struggle, if you recognize your own tendencies to be divided and your loyalties to the world and to God, jump into Psalm 119. Psalm 119.9-15 says, How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as riches. When was the last time you rejoiced in God's word more than a full bank account? For me, it's not very often. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. Guys, I'm going to be honest with you. My divided heart is dealt with right here. I have a a three ring, uh, a a spiral card holder. And I've written out and memorized portions of scripture as I go running through West Asheville. So if you see me running through West Asheville with note cards in my hand and talking out loud, I'm not just talking to myself and I'm not crazy. (laughs) But the more I allow the word of God to saturate my heart and I stop making excuses from being here and I go, God, your word is if it's true, then it's going to shape me. It's going to change everything Then I have to have it. And as I run through West Asheville and I'm saying, you know, I'm, and I'm and I'm like Christ is a visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth he made the things we can see and the things we can't see. And like the, then the kingdoms and authorities and rulers and every, and just, as I start doing that and as I start running through West Asheville, I'm like God, make that true here. Make that true in this place. Make people, help them see you clearly. Help them not have divided hearts for the things of this world that are killing them. And, and, and it spurs on prayer. Because typically, without God's word, I'm not really good at praying. I'm going to be straight up with you. My prayers tend to be selfish. My prayers tend to be, God, give me your blessing. Don't give me you. And the more I look at the word of God, and the more I understand the psalmist's heart in Psalm 119, where I see him saying, your word keeps me pure. I am shocked by the power of the word of God. The gospel wakes us up like Job said, I heard about you, but now I've seen you with my eyes. That's the prayer I pray for my kids. It's the prayer I pray for Highland. It's the prayer I pray for our elders, for our staff, because I know that when the gospel wakes us up, that's when everything changes. Purity of heart becomes a desire of mind because he is pure. The total mind boggle of all of this is that God's purity fuels our purity. It's not something you and I can muster up, but it's something that he does in us. Psalm 24 says this The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him, for he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence. O God of Jacob, interlude. <laughs> Do not miss the interlude. See, in our pacing, we're just like shoom, right over it. And I love how the psalmist has to put breaks in there for us to go, oh, I'm supposed to pause here, Right? What I just read is that you own the world and everything in it. Oh, yeah, I need to stop and consider that and look at myself in light of the fact that you own the world and everything in it. Hold on. Breathe. Take a breath and know that God owns everything and that there are people who can actually be in the presence of the God who owns everything. How do I do that? How do I get to climb that mountain? There it is. Don't worship idols and never tell lies. The divided heart doesn't say perfection, it doesn't say sin free. It says pure hands, pure hearts, and clean hands. George Swinnick said this Our design in meditation, which I hate, I hate that meditation seems to be a bad word in the church. I really do because it's been hijacked. But in reality, our design in meditation must be rather to cleanse our hearts than to clear our heads. You see, for the Christ follower, we're not sitting there emptying our brains. In fact, for the Christ follower, we are filling our hearts with the Word of God. That is what it means to meditate on the Word of God, to be filled with the Word of God, not to say, oh, you know what? I'm going to sit here until nothing's in my head. That's always going on for me. I need to be filled. I need to be filled with the Word of God. Now, I ask the Lord, where am I divided? Where am I fragmented? Where am I so concerned about the outside of the cup that I have forgotten the division within? What am I holding back from you, and why? Jesus, when He was approached by the religious leaders, and they asked Him, hey, what's most important? Jesus could have said anything at this moment. And in Mark chapter 12, this is what Jesus says. The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And this is what I want you to hear this morning. Purity is not primarily defined by what I avoid. As Christians today have made it. Rather, purity is defined by what I pursue. If I'm reading Jesus right and if I'm hearing the scriptures correctly, purity is not so much the things that I say no to, but the thing I say yes to. What if that was the way we lived as a people who were like pure, undivided hearts for the Lord? There will be a natural denial of things because I'm consumed with this one thing. The pure heart, the undivided heart, purity not being so much defining Christians as the things we say no to. Man, people know what we say no to, but do they know what we say yes to? Do they know the one that we're pursuing, hopefully and intentionally, as we figure out and we wrestle with our own divided hearts, that our desire is to pursue him with everything, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength and love our neighbor as, as ourself? Jesus didn't give a negative there. He didn't say, all right, this is the most important. Don't smoke dope. Don't chew tobacco. Don't drink. Don't go, don't, don't go out with girls that do those things. Jesus didn't say that. He said, do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Purity is defined by what we pursue, a single-heartedness. And as we close this morning, one of the things um, at Highland that we really do desire is authenticity. It's something that we strive for. Do we get it right? No, because we all wear masks. We all are divided. We're all... You know, we all have Facebook personas that we need to keep up. We all take a thousand selfies until our nose and the light are in the right angle and it makes us look the best. It's why we do those things. It's, it's sin. That's what we do. We want to look strong. We want to look a way that impresses people so that no one thinks there's anything wrong with me. But authenticity says there's a lot wrong with me and God has rescued me from a lot And the reason authenticity is so essential in this picture for us and the undivided heart is because chances are the way we relate to God is the way we relate to people. If I'm fake with God, chances are I'm fake with people. If I'm compartmentalized with God, if I'm saying, God, you can have this, but you can't have this, then that's probably how I treat my family. That's probably how I treat my friends, my co-workers, If I'm fake with God, chances are I'm fake with people. But if I'm real with God and I'm sitting here going, God, I am broken, I am a sinner, I confess these things to you, I am weak and I experience the comfort of God, then chances are in front of people I can be weak because honestly, I don't care what man thinks because Christ has paid my debt. I sit there and I'm able to go, you know what? Things aren't right. I need counseling, I need help, I need friendship, I need the body, I need people. Whatever the next step is, I can be authentic about because it's not about my face. But it's about the grace of God making me an example of his wealth and riches, his mercy. See, when Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God, he wasn't joking. Because the undivided heart is the one that pursues him. God says, you'll see me. And for the Christ follower, that's our biggest longing. This morning, we're going to be doing something a little different. Some of you may or may not have been a part of something like a baptism service, but we're going to be baptizing some folks this morning who have said, this is what they have declared, that Jesus is Lord, that he is the son of God, that he died on the cross for me and that he rose from the dead, and I want to follow him all the days of my life. Will we get it perfect? Absolutely not. An inward transformation that has gone on that we want to display publicly. And so there are some kids, some students, some teenagers that have said, that's what I want to do. And this morning I told you, we came anticipating. If you find yourself in this place going, I want to be baptized, you are free to come get in line stand over here and say it to the world. You can change before you do that if you want to, but if you don't, you don't have to. But baptism is the declaration of, "I want to, I want to have a single-minded heart, and I want to see Him. That's the declaration. So as we respond this morning, there'll be some elders standing over there. If you'd like to be prayed for, they'd love to pray for you. But as we journey this joy, this, this celebration of baptism, to remember it's a declaration. It's not a religious act. It's not a ritual that saves us. Jesus has done the saving. We just want to let people know that he's done it. Lord, thank you for loving us. And I ask that in this time, You'd be glorified and your heart for your people would be communicated. It's in your name we pray.